we uh, have been kind of in the Psalms uh, the last few weeks. And um, the Psalms, what I love about the Psalms is it's not the, the narrative of the Bible, right? So a lot of the Bible is narrative. A lot of the Bible is just the, the storytelling, the, the what happened and, and things like that. And, and to be honest with you, when you read kind of the narrative of the Bible, uh, you don't necessarily get the feeling all the time, the emotion, the, the, the reality and stuff like that. But the Psalms is not done in narrative form. In fact, the Psalms is very poetic. Uh, the Psalms actually are, are writings of, of, a, of a few different people, primarily David, King David, uh, and these are his writings, and these are his, his kind of heartfelt, you know, cries to God, right? It, it's like these, these, these letters to the Lord. Uh, you know, if you were to read somebody's journal, it's kind of like David's journaling. Uh, and and all, most of the Psalms even got turned into worship songs by the Israelites. And so when they would come together and worship at the temple, uh, most of these were the songs that they would sing uh, kind of as unto the Lord. So a lot of the times you'll, you'll see even above the Psalms, it'll, uh, it'll even say specifically, you know, give some direction for the choir director, you know, to, to do it this way and to have this kind of emotion uh, behind it. But I love the Psalms because we get a personal look at the, the people of the Bible, right? Especially a guy like David. And last week, and here's where I want to start because it's going to lead right into the, the, the next, uh, actually two psalms we're going to look at. Don't worry, they're very short psalms. Uh, but these next two psalms, and both of them written by David. Last week we looked at one of David's probably most heart-wrenching psalms. It's the psalm where, where David uh, confesses his sin, confesses his sin of not only uh, adultery. He took another man's wife uh, as his, uh, you know, as his own, and then he he murders uh, that man. And it's interesting, and and I, the reason why it's there, and and you would say, well, you know, why do we even need to discuss this about David? And it's because it's important to understand. God referred to David as a man after his own heart. Now. What David did, obviously, was not after God's own heart. How David reacted, though, when he was confronted with his sin is what God wants from us. David immediately humbled himself, right? He took himself off that high perch of king, and he humbles himself, and he, and he admits and confesses to the Lord, I am a sinner. And then he confesses his sin. He immediately comes out, I am not going to hide anything from you, God. You are God. You know what I have done. I confess my sin to you. That is the kind of heart that God is looking for. So when God refers to David as a man after his own heart, he's not talking about perfection. Because the truth is, none of us are perfect. None of us. And that's kind of where we're going to go looking at the, this first psalm. So Psalm 53 is going to be the first uh, psalm out of the two that we're uh, going to look at today. And I, and I want to start with this. Have you ever heard, uh, you know, kind of this phrase about knowing where you've come from, right? It's usually given to people who are, um, who've made it big. Um, uh, athletes, uh, you know, rock stars, 
um, and uh, you know, billionaires, you know, people like that, who all who started with nothing. All who started with nothing. I love it. There's a, a new TV show uh, coming out, and it's, uh, it's basically this guy uh, is, is a billionaire, and he's, he's uh, going to Erie, Pennsylvania with, with like 100 bucks in his pocket and living in a, a truck, all right? And he's gonna, he's, he wants to show you that you can, you can take nothing and then immediately turn nothing into a billion-dollar you know, business. And I'm kind of like, I want to see this. And he, and he even says he's going to do it in three months. Three months, this guy is going to go from nothing, and he's going to make uh, and create another you know, billion-dollar industry. And I'm like, wow. And I realize that there's people out there that have that kind of like grit, that kind of you know, not-give-up attitude. But I, I really want to talk about it more from a spiritual sense, not forgetting where we've come from. And what I mean is the Bible says this about us. The Bible says all have sinned, all fall short of the glory of God. And that's where even David goes in this psalm. And that's what David even kind of laments about, is that we are all sinners. We need to remind ourselves not to be ashamed, not not to walk around in shame and in guilt, but to understand that as we walk through life and as we're experiencing life, that we need to understand what we've been saved from. What God has done, you know, for us. Because it speaks then into every decision that we make. So let's look at Psalm 53 and let's listen to David's words. Verse 1. Only fools say in their heart there is no God. They are corrupt and their actions are evil. Not one of them does good. God looks down from heaven on the entire human race. He looks to see if anyone is truly wise, if anyone seeks God. But no, all have turned away. All have become corrupt. No one does good, not a single one. Let's stop right there. Now, I believe David is, is referring to two things. And, and remember that, you know, this is just David's cry out to the Lord. Right? This is like we, we, we're getting this private look at, a, at, a, at David journaling to God, at David just throwing down his thoughts. So this is what I, if I can kind of get into the mind of David, what, what I believe he's referring to, kind of two things. The first is, is just the simple evil that is, is in the world. David is lamenting about that. There is no one, you know, I, just like that, that scripture I said, there, we are all born into sin. Because of Adam and Eve's sin, every single one of us are immediately now born in to this sinful world that is fallen and that needs to be saved. The second thing is, is I, I believe that David is looking at it, is he's looking at it on the inside. He's looking at himself. He's being self-reflective. He realizes, and this is where the honesty comes in. And this is why I love David, because David is not touting himself as the perfect person. And when David is saying that God looks upon the entire earth and does not see one, well, David's on the earth, right? David's including himself into this, and he's, he's admitting right off the bat that God, I, me too, I am a sinner. I have evil thoughts. I have selfish thoughts. I, I, I have the tendency to think of myself before others. It's just the way I am. It's just the fact that we've been born into this fallen world. And David is admitting that. And, and, and if we could kind of, you know, 
take notes from David and say that we constantly are realizing that, of course, there's this evil, you know, as, as Chuck even talked about, there's, there's evil around us, right? There's evil pressing in around us, but then always, always being self-reflective of, of the sin in, inside of us as well. So this is where David starts. David, or in 1 Peter, apologize, Peter uh, in the New Testament actually says this. He says, stay alert. Watch out for your great enemy, the devil. He prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. So first, David says in verse 1, right? David said is in verse 1, only fools say in their heart there is no God. I believe the second mistake that we can also make uh, in that statement, it's kind of the other side of the coin, is also saying that we have, that there is no enemy out there, that there is no, you know, devil out there, that there is no, you know, this evil that is out there. To, to completely walk around and say that there, first of all, is no God, and then secondly, to say that there is no, you know, uh, uh, demonic, you know, uh, that is fighting and is warring against us, I believe, and I totally 100% agree with David, you would have to be a fool to say that, because just look around, right? Just look at the hatred in the world. Just look at the corruption in the world. Just, just open your eyes. You would be a fool to say there is no God. And also, I say, to say there is no, you know, uh, enemy. Romans 3.10 says, as the scriptures say, and this is Paul's writing, no one is righteous, not even one. No one is truly wise. No one is seeking God. All have turned away. All have become useless. No one does good, not a single one. All right, now this sounds depressing, right? Oh my gosh, David, you are being such a baby. But David's being honest. David's being honest. There, and, and this is kind of what the, the, the point that I think David's trying to make to us is let's be real about ourselves. Let's be real. I believe this is where we need to start. I believe if you want to build a foundation of life, we need to be honest and gut-wrenchingly real about ourselves. That I, Matthew, am a sinner. That I am broken, that I have hurts, that I have pains, and if God is going to use me and, and build, he's, he's not, God never asks for perfection. What he asks for is humility and honesty. And that's what David's being right now. He's being humble and he's being honest. Let's go to verse four. Will those who do evil ever learn? They eat up my people like bread and wouldn't think of praying to God. Verse five. Terror will grip them. Terror like they have uh, never known before. God will scatter the bones of your enemies. You will put them to shame, for God has rejected them. Who will come from Mount Zion to rescue Israel? When God restores his people, Jacob will shout with joy, and Israel will rejoice. So here's the thing. There is hope. There is hope. That hope is in Jesus. That hope is in our salvation. The hope is that God isn't, isn't just going to leave us to our mess. That he's such a loving God that he wants to come down. He wants to be a part of your mess. I, I, I always, this is the picture. Anytime I think of, uh, of God intervening in my life, this is the picture I get. 
My, um, my mom was really big about me cleaning my room when I was a kid. Anybody else have a mom like that? Really? I mean, yeah. <laughs> my mom, it, it was like, uh, go clean your room. Go clean your room. Go clean your room. I must have heard that daily. Uh, go clean your room. Go clean your room. My mom, my mom kept a clean home. And to be honest with you, how many of you ever walked into your, your house or your room and things are such a mess that you literally go, I don't even know where to start, okay? All right, I don't even know where to start. There's stuff everywhere, and to be honest with you, it's so overwhelming that I just don't have it in me to even start. So I always pictured it this way. Imagine, you know, and I'm talking, let's really get dirty. Think of a TV show Hoarders, right? Think of Hoarders, okay? And imagine that you are the hoarder for, for just the, the, the sake of the story. You're the hoarder. And there's God and Jesus standing at the door and knocking. And you are going, oh, my gosh. I do not want him to come in here. It is a mess. And so your first thought is like, hey, hang on, God. Stay out there while I begin to clean the mess. Now, again, let's think hoarder's proportions for a moment, Right? It's going to take you forever. God's never going to be able to come in because you're too busy trying to work on it, right? When this is what God really wants. This is what he truly wants. He wants you to open the door. He already knows the mess is there. What he wants to do, help. He wants to help pick and clean up the mess. And if you've ever, if you've ever actually watched the show Hoarders, they, they, they've come to the point, those people, they can't do it on their own anymore. They need help. And that's the place that we need to come to. The humility, it's not, God knows it's there. He knows your sin is there. He's, you're not fooling him by keeping the door shut to him. What he's saying is open the door. I'm not expecting a clean house. I'm expecting to come in and help you clean your house. Because then God will help you put it in perfect order. This is kind of this this picture that I believe David is trying to paint, that there is a hope. In Revelations 12, 11, it says, and they they defeated him, this is they defeated Satan, by the blood of the lamb and the word of their testimony. By the blood of the lamb, the enemy has been defeated. 1 Corinthians uh, 1, 3 says, and God has united you with Christ Jesus. For our benefit, God made him to be wisdom itself. Christ made us right with God. He made us pure and holy, and he freed us from sin. You didn't do that. He did. Jesus did. But we need to be real with ourselves, and we need to be honest that we need a Savior. Now that we know that where we've come from, or better, now that we know that what we've been saved from, this foundation can help us deal with things that life throws at us, right? So let's look at Psalm 54. Psalm 54 is actually really interesting. Psalm 54, and and if we can put it in the timeline, last week we looked at David as, as King David, lamenting over a sin that he did. We're now looking at young David, okay? He's not a king, but what he is, is he's a warrior, and he's been serving under Saul, And if you don't know the relationship between David right now and the king, Saul, King Saul is actually David's father-in-law. David actually married Saul's daughter. And get this, 
Saul hates David so much that he's trying to kill him. Anybody ever have a relationship like that with your in-laws? Anybody? Yeah? Nobody wants to be honest. <laughs> oh, thank you, Tracy, for being honest. Oh. But you know what I mean, right? I know I'm joking a little bit. But here's David, right? Great guy. Fighting for the kingdom, fighting for his people and his own king and his own father-in-law, the one that who should have his best interest in mind is trying to kill him. So he's, when he pins uh, Psalm 54, he's actually fleeing for his life. He's actually been hiding. Now get this, here's another cool part of the story. During this time, David uh, attracts these, these people and he actually builds his own army because people know, uh, have figured out that David is the one that God has actually anointed that, you know, once, you know, Saul's reign is over, that, king, that David will be the next king. And these are these people who have already believed it and see it. So they go and they follow David. So David actually has this, he's, he's building this kind of army. And, and what David does is David still goes and fights for his people. Even though the king is trying to kill him, he still goes and fights for his people. Because he still believes and he still wants to honor God. And then, once the fighting kind of ceases, and, and, and then they go running around and hide from, from Saul. So it's this, this back and forth. He goes and fights, and then he goes and hides. He goes and fights, and then he goes and hides. So put yourself in this mindset of David as we, as we look at this next psalm. Psalm 54, verse 1. He says this. Well, let me read the, uh, for the choir director, Psalm of David, regarding the time... The Ziphites came and said to Saul, we know where David is hiding. Be accompanied by stringed instruments. Verse 1, come with great power, O God, and rescue me. Defend me with your might. Listen to my prayer, O God. Pay attention to my plea. For strangers are attacking me. Violent people are trying to kill me, and they care nothing for God. Now let's just pause here for a second. David is not just referring to the, the, the battles that are going on with, Israel, with Israel's enemy. He's talking about his own battle at home. And this is where this gets personal. And this is the point that, that, that I kind of want to drive home with this psalm is that sometimes, you guys, sometimes the battle... Even there's that exterior battle, right? There's that battle outside, right? There's that, there's that enemy that kind of doesn't have a face. But how often have we experienced the enemy that we know their face? That sometimes the enemy is people who, who, should, be, who should love us or people who should care about us or people who should have our best interest in mind. How, how many times is that our enemy? How, how betrayed and how lonely David must have felt. I want to share with you guys a story, something that happened to me, and I'm not going to use any names, but some of you may figure it out. There was a, Sheila and I have been in ministry for many years. Uh, I've been doing ministry since I was 18, uh, back in a place called Cornerstone in Anaheim. And throughout the years, we have had our ups and our downs in ministries, but nothing ever stung. Like the day I sat in front of a mentor and leader and one who I looked up to and revered. And when I shared my vision and when I shared my dreams, 
this person looked at me and said, you're going to fail. I knew instantly in that moment that they didn't mean it. They said it out of hurt. They said it out of anger. They said it out of their flesh. But it stung. And can I tell you, I haven't been able to get that voice out of my head since. I want you to know that I have forgiven that person. Because I follow after David in understanding that first and foremost, I am a sinner too. I have done things to hurt people. I have said things that have hurt people. So I instantly forgave this person who at the time I was trusting with my life. But I want you to know that sometimes betrayal happens and it hurts deep. And David is experiencing this. And he knows firsthand what it's like. But he yet turns to God. Verse 4. He says this. But God is my helper. The Lord keeps me alive. May the evil plans of my enemies be turned against them. Do as you promised and put it into them. I will sacrifice a voluntary offering to you. I will praise your name, O Lord, for it is good. For you have rescued me from my troubles and you have helped me to triumph over my enemies. You see, God did protect David. God had a plan for David's life and no matter what, even when the king of Israel was trying to kill him because that was not in God's plan for David and that was not in God's will, that even the might of a king could not defeat what God's will already was. You need to know that. I heard it already said today and I can't remember exactly who said it, but God already has a plan for your life. And no matter how hard the enemy tries to attack you, break you, discourage you, and weigh you down, they will not be able to if God's hand is upon you. And that's where trust comes in. So I want to pause for a moment because there's this really cool story in the midst of all this that, that, so you can uh, once again see the heart of David. During this time of, of David's running and hiding and, and fleeing, uh, David actually has the opportunity to take Saul's life, okay? And I love the story because it's even a little graphic. Saul takes his army. Are you ready for this? Are you ready for it, youth? Look, look at me. You're going to love this. Saul's army takes a break, right? They've taken a break from uh, warfare, and they've gone to hunt back after David. And Saul himself is out there, and they're looking for David. And, and, and you know, Saul wants David dead. Saul, they're all hanging out in a cave, and, and as everyone else is sleeping, Saul the king gets up to go further in the cave and relieve himself. Well, guess who's deep in the cave? David. David's been hiding even deeper in this cave. And he's with his men. And there's Saul, the one who's trying to kill him, the one who hates him with every part of his being. And David's men 
say, David, here's your chance. Remember, you've been anointed to be the next king. This is it. This is your opportunity. Take it. But David does something so interesting, but yet so powerful. David walks up and literally it says, while Saul is relieving himself, which I can't imagine that you've got to be so entrenched in what you're doing that you don't even know there's someone behind you. But during this moment, David, with a knife, kind of tears off a piece of his cloak. And he goes back and hides. And the story goes on that, you know, kind of the next morning, you know, they kind of reveal themselves, hey, you know, David says, I was here. In fact, I want you to see what's in my hand. I had the opportunity to kill you, Saul, but I didn't. And David says this, these powerful words. He said, I, I would never touch God's anointed. So what can we learn from David through all of this? What can we, what, what, how can we take all of, the, all of this and, and surmise, and how does this relate to us? Well, I believe two things. Understanding the heart of David and understanding how we can have this kind of same heart. The first is that I truly believe that David trusted God so much that even when David had the opportunity to intervene, right, to, to change the course, to, to, to take matters into his own hand. He trusted God so much and he said, nope, God, I trust you that this is your guy and for the moment, I'm gonna let you deal with him. There was a humility about that because David in his own pride could have said, I'm taking you out. And by the way, I don't know that anybody would have argued with him. I don't know that he would have gotten much pushback, but he trusted God. There was a humility about him. And the second, second part of it is, is I think David understood who he was. That he too was an imperfect person. And how can I take the life of somebody else who's imperfect when I too am imperfect? And again, that speaks to your trust in God and it speaks to the humility of knowing who you are. All right, wrapping it all up here. These, these are the jewels in the Bible. These are the stories. These are the words that, that help us understand the heart of God and help us understand how we should relate back to God. You see, too often when I get frustrated, I want to fix it. I want to make things happen. I want to take control. I, I feel like I also heard that this morning. My, my, my first reaction is, is that I want to take control of the situation. But if you can be like David, and if you could give that control back to God and say, God, I trust you with my life. I trust you with, I mean, literally with my, my very being, right? Even when those who are coming against me want to kill me, I trust you with my life. And I also understand, and I will never forget where I've come from. I will never forget that, Jesus, you saved me from sin. And it helps me relate to others. And it helps me be forgiving. And it helps me be gracious. And it helps me be kind and loving. Just everything the Bible teaches us to do. Everything Jesus talked about. What's the greatest commandment? Love the Lord your God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. And what's the second part? Love your neighbor as yourself. 
That's the kind of people that God wants us to be. That's the kind of love that we need to show. But it starts with humility and it starts with trusting God that he has a better plan for your life than you do. I've enjoyed kind of going through the Psalms. I, I really hope that they're, they're speaking to you and ministering to you. And I, I'm going to ask you to do something that I had kind of asked uh, when we first started in Psalms, but I haven't said it again. Go back and meditate on these two Psalms this week. Because I believe that God has more for you than just even maybe what I've said this morning. And this is the kind of life that God wants us to have. He wants us to meditate on his word. He wants us to, them to, to, to marinate and soak and, and sit on our hearts. Not just you know, be hearers of the word, but be doers also. We need to learn to have this intimate relationship with God. It's the kind of relationship he wants with you. Do you believe that? Do you believe that? I'm going to challenge you one more time. I've been saying this. I'm going to sound like a broken record, but if you haven't been here, do you believe God is good? Do you? Do you truly believe God is good? You need to answer that for yourself. I can't answer that for you. Because if you believe God is good, then all those other things will fall into line afterwards. Then all your beliefs about him your trust in him, your, your faith in him, your love for him. If you believe God is good, then he will be able to reveal these other things about your relationship with him. But that's, it starts here. It starts with this belief of, of how we look at God. The second is I believe that God is, is teaching us this humility, and what I mean by it is, I, I don't mean that we become a, 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 you know, a rug that we lay down and everybody just walks and wipes their feet on. That, that's not the kind of humility I'm talking about. The kind of humility where we're always self-examining ourselves and just like David, being open and real and raw about who we are first before we go and deal with, with others. And this is, by the way, this is something that I believe God is teaching me right now teaching me to be, that even when I need to have the hard conversations with somebody, that I've made sure that I've gone in and I've checked Matthew first, right? Just like the scripture says, I check, you know, the, thank you, I check the log in my own eye before I go and, and sit with you and, and talk about the speck in your eye. This is the kind of life as, as Christians that God truly wants us to be. Truly, truly, truly wants us to be. Let's pray. Thank you, Lord. I thank you for your love for us. I thank you for your patience with us. Lord, I've been hearing this word trust being thrown around a lot lately. And I believe that this is a, a, a word that you are, are, are specifically saying to us here in our church. You see... Trust is something that normally has been broken a lot in our lives, whether it's been through parents, uh, friendships, family members, and maybe it was even somebody that you looked up to like a mentor, that that trust seemed to be broken. 
But see, God wants to heal that. And there's one person we can put our trust in. Because there's one person who never lies because he is truth. There's one person who will never abandon us because he loves us. There's one person who will always be waiting with open arms for us. And that is God. That is the Lord Jesus. And we need to learn to put our trust in him. What are you going through right now? What are you feeling like you need to to take control over right now that maybe you need to put and trust God with instead? Because even though you may have every right, still may not be God's plan for you. God has a bigger plan than we can ever think or imagine for our lives. So I ask that your prayer to God would be that you would learn to trust him with every part of your life. I want to ask you this. If you feel like I have felt where you feel like kind of standing on the inside of the door of your room and it's just a mess and God seems to be standing on the other side of it knocking and you're panicking my encouragement to you would be to trust him and open the door and let him in the Bible also says this there is no condemnation in Christ you see when we finally hand over our lives to God there is no more condemnation there's no more condemning because when we like David humble ourselves confess our sins to God and admit who we are He comes in and he cleanses us and it actually says we become pure. We become holy. We become in right standing with God, your creator, the one who created you, the one who breathed life into you. So Father God, I pray right now that you would speak to us that first, Lord God, we would feel your love that we would learn to trust you, that we would also, Lord, learn to give up on trying to take the reins from you. I love that song. Jesus, take the wheel. Jesus, take the wheel. But Lord, how much truth is in that? So Lord, would you do a healing power in us this morning? Would you cleanse us, Lord God? Would we always remember where we've come from and what you've done for us? Would we never forget that? And Lord, would we know that even when the enemy is surrounding us, that we would trust, Lord, that you've got us in the palm of your hand and that you are a good, good Father. So I have a question for you. 
you've been struggling with that opening the door thing, I want to give you an opportunity right now. And if you would say, you know what, yeah, that's me. I've been doing this thing with God where kind of keeping the door shut because I'm afraid, because I'm scared, because I'm afraid if he really sees what's inside that he's going to reject me. I'm going to tell you something right now. He will not. The fact that he's even standing outside of the door means he's already ready to embrace every part of you. But I want to encourage you, if that's you today, that you would open that door to him. And let me tell you how you do that. The Bible says this. If we confess with our mouth that Jesus Christ is Lord, we believe in our hearts that God raised him from the dead. It says that we are forgiven all of our sins. We humble ourselves, and if we let go, and if we give it to him, it says that he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from our unrighteousness. I encourage you to not wait another moment to allow him in because he will radically change your life. And you will be able to stand in those moments when you feel like the enemy is surrounding you and you will be able to trust with all the trust that you can muster that God's got you. He's not leaving you. That the God of the universe, the King of kings and the Lord of lords is on your side. And he's for you, not against you. say, you know what, Pastor Matthew, today's the day. Today's the day that I want to I want to let him in all the way in my heart. I'm not going to hold back anymore. I'm not going to play this game. I'm not going to do the dance. But I'm going to trust. He would say, that's me today. Will you just simply kind of slip up your hand so I can see it? Everyone's got kind of their heads bowed and their eyes closed anyways. It just kind of would be us. But if that's you, say, you know what, I'm going to open the door. I'm going to open the door. Jesus, come into our lives. Not hold you back anymore. Come in and heal us. Come in and purify us. Come in and cleanse us. And Lord, shower us with your love. Shower us with your grace and your mercy. Send us your Holy Spirit to comfort us, to guide us, to teach us. And in your name we pray. Amen.